Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everyone, it's Ellis. Before we get into today's Orange and Brown Talk podcast, I want to tell you how you can get signed up for Football Insider. Visit cleveland.com slash browns and click the blue banner at the top of the page. That'll give you exclusive access to content, a daily newsletter, and insider text messages from myself, Dan Lobby, Mary Kay Cabot, and Scott Patsko. Everyone expects this to be a memorable Brown season. Make the most of it by becoming a Football Insider subscriber. All right, let's get to the show. Welcome to the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. My name's Ellis Williams. For anyone keeping tabs on my location, I'm coming to you from Hastings, Minnesota, in the same basement we did the 2020 draft in. But our team here at Cleveland.com is stacked, meaning we have our three other reporters on the ground, Dan Lobby, Scott Patsko, Mary Kay Cabot, coming to you live from Berea and joining me on the podcast we have a lot to get into, despite it sounding like a underwhelming practice, a practice in a point where the Browns are heading towards their third and final preseason game, but of course have their eyes on the prize, which is week one, September 12th in Kansas City. So uh, I don't know, I'll call it a transition period of, of sorts here. We're going to start with a Tack McKinley update, both on his status and a visual. Dan, I'm going to throw it to you. I was following your live tweet from practice. You mentioned the spotting, and then you wrote about him today. Where are the Browns at with Tack McKinley, and what can fans take from what you saw today and, and what you had to write about? Well, he's back. Uh, we, we've got eyes on him. Uh, he's been back for a few days. We saw him walk into the field house as everybody was going to the bikes. Uh, did not practice. Kevin Stefanski said he wasn't sure if, if he would play in Atlanta on Sunday night. Uh, other than that, it's kind of let's just wait and see until he gets back on the field. Uh, there aren't any details really out there about the situation, uh, what happened, but it, it's just it was good to see number 55 out there because this team is hurting a little bit depth-wise at, at defensive end. Um, and, and I guess we'll just have to see if he gets out on the field here at some point in the next three. They have three practices here coming up. Mary Kay, I know you've, of course, been all over this as well, this Tack McKinley, just where he's at. In a, in a situation that I – Kind of compared to Grant Delpit, of course, very different reasons why they're both not out there. Your gut call, things you're hearing about perhaps tax availability for that week one game. Well, Tack actually returned to the Browns last week. I believe it was on Monday. I've known for a while that he was back, but kind of had to 
couch things a little bit, but I think you guys can see in some of my uh, stories that I've been writing that he was still in the Browns plans and that he would be on the field sooner than later. So he's been around for a while. So that's good. He's been part of meetings. He's been trying to stay on top of things and he's in good standing with the club working through a personal issue. Don't know if he'll reveal what that is or not. And right now we, we really don't know, but I think the fact that he's here and everyone is now feeling comfortable talking about him bodes well for him possibly having a chance to play in that opener in Kansas City if he can get up to speed fairly soon. Scott, is it just a reassurance to see Tack out there or, or is you, are you still a little hesitant, meaning you need to see it before you believe it? Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned Grant Delpit because I do think that's right. I think he's very similar in that he's an important piece of the depth of his position the way Delpit is. Uh, you know, at safety. And I mean, we, we haven't seen Garrett and, and Clowney, obviously, in a preseason game. We've seen them sporadically in camp from the beginning. So what you're left with uh, are guys that we really haven't been talking much about, or at least guys who haven't stood out enough in preseason games for us to talk about them on the, on the edge. You know, Port Augusta wasn't even out there against the Giants, really the conversation has mostly been around defensive interior guys like Malik McDowell and Sheldon Day and, and what those guys are doing inside. So, yeah, it's good that he's back, and I think it's important that he's back because it's clear that the Browns, they need to make sure that he can fill that role of guy who comes in and there's not that huge drop-off when maybe Clowney isn't in there or Garrett isn't in there as much as it might be between Clowney and Garrett and Port Augustine or, you know, some of the other guys that got on the edge. You guys, can we unpack this Tack McKinley situation a little bit? Of course, again, personal reasons, that's not what I want to get into. I want to try and land on a, a theory on how much they have invested in Tack McKinley and just a, the role he needs to play. I mean, Mary Kay, I'll start with you. Is this, this guy just has not been on the field yet is, seemingly guaranteed a 50 a spot on this 53 man roster uh, is this a, a bet that Andrew Barry needs to get right in the grand scheme of this Browns defense reinvigorated pass rush and just the importance of that front four and and, and it, like Scott saying depth wise um you know what I I think that uh from a, a defensive end standpoint uh I definitely think that that he still is slated for that number three defensive end role. I yeah. think that everyone hopes that that's how it shakes out. Uh, Porter Gustin is hurt right now, so that's not helping matters either. Um, but I absolutely, um, I absolutely think that they still think that he can be a force blasting off the edge. That's what he does really well, and I think they can. They feel like they can rehabilitate him and get his career back on track. Dan, you still taking the Browns front office's words for that? Or am I making – like, am I making too big of a deal of the fact that I just haven't seen them out there? I mean, I, I, I kind of said this after they signed Clowney. When, when you originally signed Tack to be your number two, I thought that was – I thought that if that would have been a mistake if they would have gone into camp with Tack McKinley as their number two. As their number three edge rusher, I really like it because now you can just sort of pick your spots with them. Um, okay. you, you need them there for the depth. I think this is a really low risk – thing for Andrew Barry if it doesn't work you know I, I personally I don't think you rake him over the coals for it it was a low cost low risk move 
if it works, he comes away looking like a genius for, for rehabilitating his career. Obviously, you know, Barry has really kind of loved bringing in those 2017 draft guys uh, that, that he obviously liked back when he was working with the Browns the first time around. So, you know, I, you want to have Tech out there because you need that depth because without him, you're counting on guys like Porter Gustin or Joe Jackson or Cameron Malvo or, or guys that are really unproven. Um, so, you know, I, I think this is just a lottery ticket for Andrew Barry. If it works, great. If not, that's okay too. But you, you do want to have him out there as, as depth. Sure. Yeah, I think the – Go ahead, Scott. I was going to say the real fear here is that or, you know, from a Brown standpoint is you're not sure – Miles Garrett has had trouble staying on the field, right? And, and obviously Clowney has had that issue. And I think that ramps up the, the value of McKinley a little more. But I do think his overall value went down a lot when they signed Clowney, obviously. I, I agree with Dan that if that was what they went into camp with, you know, McKinley and Garrett as your edge rushers, I think, I think there would be a lot of maybe concern about whether or not they had enough there. Right. And that again, and, and it's, we have to frame the argument in this way because we're talking about a preseason Tuesday in August and in, in late August on paper, this defense makes a lot of sense. And I see exactly what y'all are saying, where attack fits in. When you start talking about the actual application of being a team's number three pass rusher, when is this game shape going to come in for tackle? When are these reps getting to the motor you need to have to be able to rush a passer and especially be able to be the best version of yourself in the fourth quarter? It seems like you're now the month of September turns into tack and really Grant Delpit and a lot of these injured players extended preseason. Is that what this feels like to you guys? Yeah, I mean, for Tech, when it comes to the game shape thing, as long as you've got Garrett and Clowney out there, I guess the question comes down to, can you give me 15 to 20 defensive snaps in a game? Um, and I think that's going to be easy enough for him to get up to. You know, I don't think there's any reason to believe he was out of shape to begin with. Right. So I, I think he'll be okay in that regard. The fact that you don't need him to play 50 or 60 snaps in a game, I think he'll be okay. Even with Delpit, it's kind of like, he's a really important piece to this defense, but you can at least still see how this defense gets through as long as they have John Johnson and Ronnie Harrison, you can still see how they can kind of build this defense out and maybe not do everything they want to do, but at least be a good defense and at least take steps from last year. So I, I think you want Delpit out there. You want McKinley available, but if you don't right away, it's okay. You can, you can still kind of figure this thing out. Yeah, I'm glad you brought up. Oh, go ahead, Scott, go. I was going to say, I think, you know, as soon as, as soon as the Browns signed Clowney, there was, we, we talked uh, on, on podcasts a lot about all the options and all the possibilities that could mean, you know, do you, do you move Clowney inside for some snaps? And we've, you know, we've seen what Miles Garrett can do when he's, when he scoots inside. And uh, you're not really sure if, if that's something that's, could be as successful without like someone like McKinley on, on the edge, taking up one of those spots. Um, can Joe Jackson, you know, give them what they want on the edge if, if they move Clowney inside stuff like that. Um, so I think that is something that you, you kind of maybe have to wait longer to see if that's going to come to fruition. You know, I completely agree. It, it, to me, it's a wait and see, and a, they're going to have to use the month of September to experiment with that. And really the, the preseason, you're not going to see Miles Garrett lined up at D-tackle in a preseason game anyway, right? So th they're going to 
you know, obviously started in Kansas City, and I've already said on this podcast, you, you got the Houston Texans right after that, right? The, the, four, the fourth preseason game on this schedule, at least according to Ellis Williams. So Dan, <laughs> I, I want to pivot to uh, John Johnson. You, you had brought him up uh, briefly there. You guys both heard him talk today. From what I gathered on Twitter, just a, a reassuring presence, right? Like, I mean, any concerns we may have just seems calmed by hearing John Johnson speak. Yeah, I think I'm going to put John Johnson in touch uh, with um, – oh, crap. Now, now I can't remember uh, his name. But he's, he's clearly not going down a path towards motivational speaker. He's like, if you were down on the Browns' defense and thought, man, how are they going to make it to week one when they don't really have enough people healthy here, just listen to John Johnson talk, and he'll get you on the right path. He's, he's very much – yeah, it's a challenge, but everybody here is a pro and, and you know – as long as everybody's disciplined and does their job, it'll get done. And um, you, you come away from that interview thinking the Browns are maybe better off than, than they were when you started the interview. And, I, you know, I think you see why he was a leader on that Rams defense, right? And there's a lot of big personalities on that Rams defense. You had Aaron Donald, you had Jalen Ramsey, you know, other guys on that defense, big personalities. But John Johnson was the guy that they had to wear the green sticker, very important role in Brandon Staley's defense. And you get a little bit of that when he talks to us. You see why he is, you know, Miles Garrett is going to be the best defensive player on this team. John Johnson may kind of become known as, as maybe the voice of this defense. Not that Miles isn't a leader. He's just a different type of leader. Uh, you know, Anthony Walker's kind of in that role too, but he's not the player John Johnson is. So I think by the time we're done here with this season, we're going to have a completely maybe not different view of John Johnson, because I don't think he's going to be a different person than, than what we expected, but we're going to just kind of have a better grasp of the type of leader he is and, and how important he is on the back end of that defense and the communication he brings, just everything that he brings to the table. I think we're going to see it on full display throughout the year. William Green, that's what I was thinking of. William Green, the motivational <laughs> speaker. That's who I got to get John Johnson in touch with. I think, uh, I think he'd be great. So when it comes to the safety position for the Browns, and I'm probably walking into a, a gotta watch the tape talk topic here or, or some information deep dives, but I was just thinking today, there's a decent chance that the Browns upgrading from what they had at safety last year. And we'll just put it on Anderson Deho playing that many snaps, quite frankly, and turning that into John Johnson very well could be the best positional upgrade across the league especially considering, I know, Scott, you agree, the importance of safety compared to pass rush. It, I'm, I don't know how much NFC West football Browns fans watched last year, the past two years. Fans seem to be ready for this just drastic improvement, right? I mean, we're talking about a bottom-level safety on his way out of the league, put in a spot he did not expect to be in. Of course, that was going to be Grant Delpit. And he did the best he could in, in Sandeo. And maybe that's my Minnesota and me being easy on him. But to go from that to John Johnson at a position that important, nationally I know it's not being talked about enough. Are we talking about it enough? I, I mean, I think it's really important to that upgrade. And like just across the board, right? They kind of got, they got fortunate in bringing in Harrison. They add in Johnson. And, you know, Sandejo, like you said, shouldn't have really been on the field. Um, I'm already blanking. Scott and I are both just blanking on names. I'm blanking on the other. Carl Joseph. Carl Joseph was getting a lot of a lot of playing time last year too. You know, it's it's just 
the way Andrew Barry has done this in really in his two years as GM is just seeing these obvious holes and just going out there and addressing them in some ways in the most obvious ways. So now, you know, you're going to have Johnson, you're going to have Harrison, hopefully you'll have Delpit. Maybe you're going to get something out of Richard LeCount here. You know, I don't, I don't want to overrate those two interceptions because one came on the worst Hail Mary I've ever seen. The other came on the Hail Mary by Brian Lewerke at the end of a game. But, you know, I do think there's something there with Richard LeCount, even if it needs, even if he's a little raw and needs some development. If he's your fourth guy, that's great. Uh, so, so I think this room definitely, Ellis, is much improved. And probably, even though it doesn't get talked about nationally, probably has to be one of the most improved rooms in, in the league. Yeah, and Andrew Barry said that, you know, he admitted you can't fix everything all at once. So, obviously, the offense was the focus last year. And I think he really he really made some, some bets last year because in both safeties, you're, he got guys who were trying to prove themselves, guys who had not had – good performances previously in their career. You had Carl Joseph, who's trying to live up to that uh, draft status, first round draft status. And then even at like linebacker with BJ Goodson, he, you know, is in a role that he'd never really been in as far as being out there all the time, being in coverage. I mean, those are things that he hadn't really done in his career. Now, now that Andrew Barry kind of figured out, got the offense to a place where you didn't have to do as much this offseason, you focus on the defense and, yeah, you have guys who have done it, right? John Johnson. Hey, Ronnie Harrison obviously didn't really do a ton before last season, but he did have a successful season. He was he might have been the second defensive player uh, on this team last year, at least most consistent. And um, you know, so you got those guys, someone like Anthony Walker, who who comes in with a little more experience than than BJ Goodson in linebacker. So it's been kind of a shift in that respect on at least those positions, especially at at safety. Right, and. Um- a balance of Andrew Barry going out and targeting his guys, John Johnson, of course, we were talking about with someone like Troy Hill, and then someone like JOK, both falling to them, but also then moving up to get him. It, it is a, a concentrated effort that is we're now seeing take place on the football field as, as again, we creep towards that week one game. Um, Ellis Williams here, joined by Dan Lobby, Scott Patsko. Mary Kay Cabot had to hop off if you haven't heard her name in a bit here. She, she's the one and only Mary Kay Cabot. People are calling her NFL insider <laughs> stuff. I mean, we're here to podcast, you guys. You know how this works. Uh, Scott, I thought it was fun following your JOK helmet mystery today. Can you take <laughs> listeners down yeah. on that narrative for mm-hmm. us? Yeah, well, when, here's what happens. When we walk into practice, one of the first things everybody does is you, you see who's not out there or who's over on the bikes. And then once you start individual drills, you pay attention to – who's not participating. And so I'm watching the linebackers and there's JOK kind of standing off on the side without a helmet and not really, they do some like short pass catching, simulating interception, stuff like that. Not really doing, but he's over there dancing because they play music during, during the individual drills. So it's clearly not any sort of like lower extremity injury for why he's out. And, and then they go to these uh, play action drills for linebackers where they kind of fake a handoff to one of the linebackers and, the other guys just practice dropping. Well, he's back there being a linebacker or being a running back, pretending to get a handoff. And I'm like, well, what's going on? Did he lose his helmet? Is this like some sort of punishment? If you lose your helmet, you got to go out there and not participate. I don't know. So then afterwards we found out it was uh, stitches on a helmet. He basically couldn't wear a helmet because of some weight room mishap, which sounds terrifying. Uh, <laughs> a weight room mishap that causes you to get stitches on your forehead, but that's, that's basically what happened. So he's fine. It's just, 
that's got to heal before he can get on the field in Atlanta for sure. Yeah, Dan, just a strange development with you. Okay, again, sounds like he's fine. But, I mean, look, if you can't put your helmet on, you can't practice, you can't play. Yeah, this is one of those – this is one of those times where you're really happy that we're still like two and a half weeks away from the first game. Uh, like, I mean, it feels like it's coming up fast and it really is, but it's also still kind of far away. But yeah, I mean, of all just the weird injuries to have, everybody's coming up with hamstrings and whatever else you've got a guy having a weightlifting injury and, and has stitches, you know, it, I don't think it means a whole lot for JOK moving forward. Honestly. What, what did you guys think of him in that second preseason game, by the way? I, I'm just I'm just curious. I saw PFF didn't grade him real highly. I, I know that I noticed him miss a tackle, but I, you know, I haven't gone back and really watched the game closely. I don't know if either of you have done that yet, but um, he, he wasn't really, he wasn't super noticeable, I guess, on Sunday. And that's fine because he's still, he's a rookie. It's going to take some time. But um, that, I don't want to say he lost some momentum, but I'm just curious what you guys thought about him. I, I thought that at first, but then I saw the snap count and he only played 15 snaps. And well, to me, that says, <laughs> that says that he maybe has momentum in, in terms of he's impressed the coaches enough to where they do not want to put him out there for an entire preseason game. Uh, but yeah, he was kind of invisible at times. Uh, he wasn't somebody who jumped off the page like he did, you know, against Jacksonville, but I think it was more to do with snaps and them kind of, all right, we know what we got in him, and let's let's not get too crazy with putting him in harm's way. So I'm going to ride the fence on this one because it is late August in the preseason, and it is just tough to get a, a read on the Browns' agenda, quite frankly. I thought the same thing, Dan, and then, Scott, when I saw the snap count, you're like, okay, they're clearly trying to protect him. But then I thought back to the, the joint practices, and I didn't – you know, it wasn't a, a JOK-centric pop type of big explosive play two days session for him. So then you wonder, okay, is he losing momentum or is it the protection? And again, I know I'm playing both sides of it, but that is, I wish I'd have seen a little more just him being around the football in those joint sessions. Now it's not like I had a, a JOK cam on me and, and know every rep he had, but it was a far cry from just the explosive debut we saw in Jacksonville. And if you're, if this was a, a stock market show, a trending up, trending down, you'd have to say he's trending down, but it may just because exactly what Scott said is that they know what they have and it's about being healthy for week one because this team has really got it all figured out, it seems like. And, and keep in mind that they did lose, you know, they have injuries at this at this position. They just they signed two guys just to have bodies. One of them gets carted off the field in that game. Uh, yeah, if I'm the Browns, I don't want JLK out there any more than he has to be. Yeah, I think, I think it's just one of those reminders of we – I think because in, in camp, we get to see whole practices in camp. We get these preseason games. It's our first look at these guys in game action. I think sometimes we overreact one way or the other. I know I'm guilty of it. Like, yeah. oh, my God, this guy was amazing. He's going to be the next Lawrence Taylor. Or, oh, no, this guy missed a tackle. He's, he's a bust. I, I think it's – I think with a guy like JOK, I think there's going to be some ups and downs this season. I, I think there's going to be some games where, like, a defensive coordinator just – maybe takes advantage of that aggression and gets them on some misdirection and, and things like that. But it's, it's going to be sort of a, a slow build for him. But I think he'll, again, like Tag McKinley, I, th I think he's going to have a significant role in this defense. Yeah, I, I don't think this, again, Dan, you said it, like Tack, like Grant Delpit, how we, uh, we started the show, or JOK, this defense will be playing a lot different in October than it does those first 
four games in September. I mean, you got to get everybody out there. It's like the, it's like the Brooklyn Nets this year, only having, you know, Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving and James Harden together for like nine or 11 games or something like that. It, until you, you get the reps as a cohesive unit, you're not exactly sure how they, the whole thing fits, but you know, the individual talent. And that brings me to a, a, a spot with where this 53 man roster is it's starting to really crystallize that there's not a lot of spots up to de- for debate or that these battles kind of were already figured out despite the, you know, middle part to bottom end of the roster having some movement. I thought of that today when a guy like Robert Jackson gets cut, like those are the names we're going to see exit this roster as we creep towards that 53. So what I want to ask you guys is are the rooms really to watch you know, like wide receiver, defensive line, specifically the interior, and then what's going to happen in the return game? I mean, is, are those the three areas, the three rooms that are have the most up for grabs despite these being spots, you know, four, five, and six at the back end of, of these rooms? Go ahead, Dan. You've done a 53 projection. <laughs> <laughs> I have. <laughs> I might be doing one while I'm sitting there watching the game in Atlanta too. Uh, anyway, I, I think that, I think, yeah, those, those are the battles, right? It's wide receiver. We already saw Alexander Hollins get waived on, on Tuesday. What's going to happen with Davion Davis. We've talked about him. That, that's how we know we've been in camp a long time. Jojo Natson, kind of a, he straddles both those lines, right? The return game, also the receiver game. We, we still saw him getting used a little bit on in that end around game and, things like that on Sundays. So, yeah, I, I think those are the areas to watch, and that interior defensive line is really intriguing, kind of because of Malik McDowell. That, that's a big part of it. Does he have a spot? Is he guaranteed a spot on this roster or not? He played great on Sunday. It was in the fourth quarter of a preseason game. He should. But that's, a, that's an encouraging sign. So, yeah, I, I think those are really kind of the areas to, to keep tabs on. And then they'll have to do some roster gymnastics with IR once they kind of get that 53 set. Um, but yeah, back end of the wide receiver room is really kind of the one I'm most interested in. Uh, the number one decision is whether or not Johnny Stan is going to move to tight end. I think that's at the top of the list. You read my mind. Get that guy on the field. That was my next question. Is Johnny Stanton the Harrison Bryant, Andy Janovich hybrid? Is this, is this where this is headed? The guy can catch the ball. I know that. Um, but yeah, I do believe that uh, the return game and how how that impacts like that bottom of wide receiver chart and and even you know running back um, that's probably the biggest mystery. And then, like I said, the the defensive tackle in that you have a lot of guys who are trying to prove themselves in that group, and you also have a couple draft picks, and you're not sure what has more weight. You know, do you is some the fact that you drafted somebody is that does that mean more to you than the potential of, you know, of this guy you're, you're taking a flyer on? So that and comes from those guys who played pretty well. Um, so, yeah, that'll be interesting to, to watch how that gets whittled down because we don't really know. I know last year they had four guys there. It just seems like they're going to have more this season, but maybe that's just because of how many legit candidates they got rotating through there. Scott, I love that you, you framed it that way because this is truthfully – the hypocrisy of football to me and and it's at every level whether we're talking middle school high school college pros 
coaches come out and say every spot's open. We heard Kevin say it yesterday. Everyone's battling on the, for these 53 spots, right? And then I can name three guys that, in that category that you just mentioned, rookies compared to what you're seeing on the field. Anthony Schwartz, Tommy Togiai, these guys who – Tony Fields, players that you, you probably keep around because of position of how you acquire them. But what about the battle? What about all those days at practice where you were out there and these guys aren't? And you can't hold their injuries against them. It's just circumstance. But that's where you, you look maybe halfway through the year or definitely next year at training camp. And if they keep a guy like Tony Fields around, that might have been a complete waste. And you let, you know, somebody – I mean, what if Cordero Hodge doesn't make this team just based on, on a numbers like that? It's, it's When these injuries pile up, it – becomes a tough situation for a GM to weigh potential what we thought going in compared to what you actually see on tape. A guy like McDowell, a guy who's making plays, like you said, Dan, in a fourth quarter of a preseason game, just might be a casualty to a guy with a name and, and a spot because of where they were acquired. Dan, I want to I want to pivot here to what is, of course, one of the Orange and Brown Talk's favorite topics other than the number three receiver it's the kicking competition. It's the kicking situation. And a tough break for the Browns here, of course. We know what's going, what happened with Cody Parkey being moved to IR. This seems like Chase McLaughlin's job. McLaughlin, excuse me. Do you guys anticipate another kicker being brought in? We, we were, you know, we were not going to get Mike Prefer Sr. as a guest on this podcast. So, you know, our guest, <laughs> as good as we're going to get here, is this twofold. Let's do this. Do you anticipate another kicker being brought in? And just simply put, how troublesome could this be for a team with the type of expectations that the Cleveland Browns have, having a kicking situation that you're just unsure of going into week one? I'm not convinced that Chase McLaughlin is absolutely your kicker. Okay. I I think if I were betting on it, I would, just because what else are you going to do? But – the fact that Kevin Stefanski hasn't really conceded that to this point, and maybe he's just trying to, to make sure McLaughlin doesn't sort of, I don't know how, to, how a kicker takes it easy in training camp, but I mean, taking it easier than a kicker might. But like, you know, just as an example, the Colts today waved Eddie Pinheiro. Well, the Browns waved Robert Jackson. So they've got a roster spot open. Would they put in a claim on him? Uh, there's the Giants kicker. Uh, Ryan Santoso, who's not going to make the team because they're they're set at that position, but I, I think they want to trade him. But what if nobody gives them anything and he ends up getting waived and the Browns put a claim in? Now it's hard because they're not very high up on the waiver claim list. Sure. But I, it's just not really in Andrew Barry's DNA, I don't think. And just based on how Kevin Stefanski has talked about this, I, I'm just not 100% in on this idea that Chase McLaughlin absolutely is going to be your kicker in Kansas City week one. I think he probably will be, but there's just still something in the back of my mind that makes me wonder if they want to maybe bring in another leg. I'm going to go get a Phil Dawson jersey, and I'm going to hang it up uh, on my wall, and I'm going to cross his name out, and I'm going to put uh, everybody who's come after him. The Browns have not had a kicker make it two full seasons since Phil Dawson left, and that was 2012. Uh, They haven't had anybody make it past – the first two games of their second season in like the last seven years. So I fully expect the Browns to bring in another kicker at some point, because that's just what they do. Uh, there's just always turnover and movement and fluidity to the whole kicking situation here. Uh, and 
I think maybe it's not this week. Uh, I do think Chase McLaughlin maybe has a, a shot to not let that happen by how he performs against the Falcons. Maybe that's, you know, if he's the only guy going into that game, he has an opportunity to say, hey, I'm your guy. But that would be a little bit surprising. I think with two weeks between that game and week one, they're probably going to look at their options. And, yeah, they do have a roster spot open, as Dan said. Yeah, and I'll extend that through the month of September, which I'm, I'm, I guess I'm making a theme on today's podcast, that this competition with, you know, fill in the blank of who, the, who they could bring in really will carry the most weight once these kicks start being worth real points, right, in, in real deciding real outcomes. This, this changes on a dime if, you know, you miss the 38-yarder, then you miss the 42-yarder. And we've all been there. We've all seen that. And it's uh, for a team with the ambitions that the Browns have, this to me, look, it's not an issue until what I'm saying actually happens, and it, maybe it, it doesn't. Maybe this is just – we've seen kickers come, come out of nowhere and hand, handle jobs and get a secure grasp on it and kick fine for an entire year. It's, a, it's one of the strangest positions that, that exists aside from maybe like a, a reliever or a closer. You're just such – it's such a niche, right? And it's such a mental game, and you don't know till you're out there. But I don't think we know concretely what this – what the Browns can – rely on from their kicking game until we get through the month of September. Cause these are going to be some huge kicks that this team is going to face game in and game out. And you're, you're dealing with relatively unknowns now. Let's let's want to say one thing about Cody Parkey, who I'm guessing is not going to play for the Browns again this season. Cody Parkey's field goal percentage last year was better than Phil Dawson's field goal percentage with the Browns during his career here. People act like Cody Parkey missed every kick last year and Phil Dawson never missed. I'm going to totally ignore the fact that kickers make more kicks today than they ever have before. But I don't know. I, I think that's worth pointing out. Um, you know, I, I, I had people texting us, our, some football subscribers, call Phil Dawson as soon as Cody Parkey got hurt. And I'm thinking, let's, let's maybe not go down that road because as, as beloved as Phil Dawson was, he um, – his field goal percentage was not as good as Cody Parkey's, surprisingly. So, hey, Cody Parkey appreciation thread here. 11 That's for 11 right. in the playoffs, right? Yep. I was going to say, thanks to Scott Pasco, Cody Parkey finally getting the clout and respect he deserves, both here on the Orange Brown Talk podcast and through, through Northeast Ohio and however and wherever you consume this podcast. You guys, slow day of practice. We still had a lot to talk about. Have we covered it? You, we good to go? I think so. All right. Well, for myself, Scott Pascoe, Dan Lobby, and a brief appearance for Mary Kay Cabot, I'm Ellis Williams signing off. We'll be back tomorrow, y'all. Thanks for listening.